This is Culture and Convictions. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. It is indeed. I am Iron Petrie, along with my wife, Star Petrie, and we are so glad that you've joined us once again for another uh, podcast of Culture and Convictions. we got a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting things to talk about, a lot of controversial things to talk about. And uh, I don't want to waste any time because now, if you are listening to this, the conclusion of one of the greatest docuseries, sports docuseries ever made is concluded, has concluded, uh, The Last Dance, um, covering the, of course, the Chicago Bulls run in their the, the final year. It's actually covering the final year in 1998 when they won their last sixth championship for Mike. And um, but it really kind of goes back in the history of the Bulls and so forth and so on. And it just kind of covers Michael Jordan's legacy a little bit. And um, now that that's concluded, I think we should all use this as an opportunity to put to rest this asinine argument about <laughs> about who is the GOAT. I'm sorry. And, now, and, and, and look, I may come across a little biased because you're, you're talking to or you're listening to a man who grew up and lived through the series, the docuseries, right? I lived it. Much of what was played out, aside from the things behind the scenes and, and the things dealing with management and, and, lead, and you know, and coaching and all of the controversy there. Besides those things, because we didn't live in the same, uh, we didn't have the media coverage uh, then that we have today. I lived everything else. I watched the games. I remember when Michael beat Georgetown in North Carolina in college. I remember watching him play the next year when he came back. I remember him with the rock the cradle dunk in college. <laughs> I just remember being enamored by this guy because we all were. We were just like, man, this guy is like, <laughs> I mean, the way he played, the way he carried himself on the court, and then to see his ascendancy in the NBA and to really take the league and make it a global brand. Absolutely. He literally, he uh, literally by himself. And we yeah. have to just be honest. He made basketball global. Mm -hmm. He really changed the whole landscape. He set it on a higher shelf than it had ever been before. And it had some tremendously legendary players before he came along, right. you know? So this wasn't like uh this wasn't like he was the first to come along that was good. I mean, you had Dr. J and you had Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and you just the list goes on and on and on. I don't want to just keep going on and on about that. But this man was the man and he is the GOAT. In my humble opinion, he is the greatest all time. But there seems to be this lingering debate with Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And I'm sorry, I don't get it. And I'm I respect <laughs> LeBron James. I respect his game. I respect his productivity on the court. I respect his his uh, um, his activity off the court. I respect him as a person and a human being. But when you're talking about greatest all time in basketball, I think it's hands down Michael Jordan. Well, you know, the, the, it's funny that a debate was even begun, truthfully, because I think, you know, what this docuseries has done and I haven't even had to watch it. I haven't had time yeah. and don't really need to. I never, to <laughs> me, it was never a conversation worth having. Um, this idea that LeBron or anyone else um, could move Michael Jordan from, you know, f have him abdicate that position as uh, the greatest of all time. But I think the, I think the docuseries does for, for one thing, enlighten a generation who's yeah. been so enamored with LeBron James, believing that, you know, this man has really accomplished so much um, without knowing you know, that there was a whole other generation <laughs> of, of folk 
yeah. who chose not not to not to join up with their buddies and their friends, mm. not to run the table. See, now say, you're poking fun. Now you're poking no, at people. I'm now really you're meddling. Not. I'm not trying to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just simply saying that if if Jordan, I mean, he, I guarantee you, he never made a call and said, you know, Magic, I really think that what we could do is, yeah. you know, we could we could get together, we could make this work, we could run the tables. I don't yeah. think he called Isaiah Thomas. Well, we know he didn't do that. Well, no. No, we, we, know, we know absolutely we know he didn't, he didn't call Isaiah. <laughs> but my point is. I don't know if he would have got the right answer from yeah, Isaiah. No, anyway. no, no. My point is <laughs> that all of this, you know, togetherness that, that seems to be, you know, just the the calling card of the NBA now through free agency yeah. has, has completely, to me, taken away from the competitive spirit of sports in general mm-hmm. and needs to be remedied because it's just getting – it gets to the point now where it's like you don't even want to watch them play. I mean, what is the regular season for except for them to sit on the sidelines half the time to rest for the 80-plus game season yeah. and then finally decide that they want to play for a playoff run? Yeah, and that's another thing. You know, it's it's that we, we're we living, like you said, in two different generations, and we're really just living in two different acculturations. I mean, human beings are pretty much human beings, but our culture today, the cultural consensus has changed so drastically and so dramatically, you know, I was just, you know, looking at the documentary and I was just like how it wasn't just the basketball to me, it was just culture period and the type of people that were emerging during that time. And to be the goat, to be the greatest all time, to be considered the goat, it's about this person who is, rising against the odds sure right i mean when when michael comes to chicago chicago is not anything <laughs> you know and that can be said about cleveland for, for in lebron's case but chicago isn't anything and and he comes there and people start talking all about well you know he had pippen and everything and people forget that pippen was a draft pick pippen was not an all-star established in the league recruited to come over and play with mike right pippen was was made and molded in the t- under the playing with this man, sure, right? Sure. And so it was just a different time, and it's about rising against those odds. But today the culture is so, so shifted that now it's the emergence of the super team. So it's not anymore about rising against the odds; it's about stacking the odds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not it's not about achievement against insurmountable. You, you climb that mountain. You know, and the reason why Michael is on the tip top of Mount Rushmore is because he, he ran the gauntlet. He ran the gauntlet. <laughs> I mean, he ran the gauntlet without one single alibi he desired, without correct. one single excuse. He ran the gauntlet, no moving around, no anything. And and see, and that's why I feel like these players today are actually a victim of their culture mm-hmm. because the culture has so softened the competitive spirit. It's so softened that competitive edge. And I tell you what it is, baby. I'm just telling you what it is. It's this idea in academia in particular that everything has to be a group project and a team <laughs> and a team approach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because everybody gets to hide in the group. Mm. People get to just kind of lay 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 back and watch every, you know, everybody else do the work and still get the credit. Yeah. And so you you've created this everybody gets a gold star type of <laughs> type of environment where anyone who wants to excel and demand of themselves and others to do more is shunned as someone that it don't take all that. You yeah. got to do all that. That ain't necessary. No doubt. You know what it. I mean? No so Michael Jordan in 2020, if he was in his prime, come on man, he he it just wouldn't work if the culture was was as it is today. Mm-hmm. 
he would have a real problem because yeah. the minute that he was like, you know, get out my gym. Yeah. I don't know why you wouldn't treat me that way. I oh, mean, you know, we be. all here just trying to do a job. Oh, it'll be on Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> you know ESPN. I mean? It'll be 24 like, oh hours. It'll be, it would be all kinds of culture warriors and social justice warriors you. and everybody else trying to try. And, and, and honestly, you know that would be the case because that's what's happening now. That's, You're oh, starting to man. see the articles pop up on this sports, uh, uh, you know, website and that one and everybody's writing about different things about Michael and do we really like him do we want to be like this man and and now we've seen a dark side to to Michael like, jo- no. you know it's like you've no, seen a man. man that demanded of himself yes. absolute excellence and also had the audacity to ask the same of his teammates but get this he didn't ask them to do anything that he wasn't willing to do that's that's, right. that's the difference. That's so the so difference. yeah, you might think I'm a I'm a butt because I come out here and I'm like <laughs> I'm gonna need you to hit them free throws. I'm really yeah. getting tired of this. You know yeah. what I mean? And we gonna stay here all night till you figure this out. Yeah. But but that's what champions do. And ultimately, greatness greatness is always reprimanded because of its requirements because it because it puts a burden on others that they don't want to have. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I mean, you think about Jesus giving us the Beatitudes. Well, I ain't, I don't know about all that. I don't want to forgive. Strong me. I don't want to do all that. <laughs> because, but but that's because anybody who, who, any great person automatically kind of impugns us to, like, what am I doing? They rattle you. Yeah, rattle like I'm not cage, living up to that. comfort and I, and zone. That's, that's Come hard, on about it, right? Now, right, yeah. So. And, and that's the thing. Like I say, Michael Jordan to me, he's the GOAT because of number one is productivity. What he did, sure. what he produced. I'm sorry, y'all. Two consecutive three-peats. I mean, I don't think we will ever see that again. Mm-hmm. Now, I could be wrong, but that is hard. That is like ultimate focus. Man, That's that, like that focus is on steroids. I'm sorry, man. That is hard. <clears throat> and he is playing all-star Hall of Fame players. Yeah. And people don't like to they don't like to talk about the fact, but Pistons, Hall of Fame. Yes. Stockton Malone, Hall of Fame. Definitely. You you can talk about Clyde the Portland the, the Trailblazers were a good yeah, team. They weren't there absolutely. just to, just because they just oh they got there. They were playing no. in the West, man. They were playing some people, and they 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 were a good team. Sure. All of these teams were good teams. The Lakers were a good team. This story franchise, and he really and it wasn't just the championship runs. It was the way he came chopping through the tall grass before he got there. He had to climb the mountain. Yeah. He didn't he couldn't stack the odds in his favor. Yeah. He had to climb the mountain and actually do it. And to take a break and come back and go on a three peat run again. <laughs> it's crazy. And the thing but, about it is we don't have to take anything away from LeBron no. to give anything to Mike. No. I think the 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 whole thing is just Simply, let's recognize greatness for what it is. Mm-hmm. Recognize that people have to live on a different level to be exceptional. You do. You know what I mean? That you can't be like everybody else to be exceptional, which is why everybody ain't exceptional. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? No, if it was easy, truth. if it was something that you just got to get up every morning and say, okay, I'm going to go do this, then who wouldn't be exceptional? Yeah. But the issue is that there are, there are people that come along that have a different mentality. They have a different approach to what they want to accomplish and they are tenacious in in their advancement toward that goal. And so I don't, I think we have to check ourselves to not be, you know, Mm -hmm. like insecure, made insecure by it. Yeah. Like why? You know, that type of greatness, that type of greatness will check you if you're insecure. It'll bother you. No doubt. It will bother you. That type of, uh, that, that type of determination because those people come along, those exceptional human beings and whatever field they come along in and they really do, they all have this similar capacity to kind of bend or stretch human nature yeah. to a great degree because, like we've talked about it before, it's not human nature to win that much. No. 
It's not. No. It is human nature to relax once you win. It's like people calling Serena Williams mean. It's like, yeah. well, sometimes no. you gotta be mean. If no. you're gonna be if you're gonna be successful it's at the not, clip that she's exactly. successful. She she's stretching the bounds of what human nature's tendency Absolutely. is. You see what I mean? Absolutely. And that's why we call them the GOAT. And in my humble opinion, if you were to cross well, that's a totally different discussion, but Serena's at the top of my list. If we're pound for pound with just individual in their sport. Sure. She's my goat because it's an individual sport. You <laughs> because ain't got, you she have just nobody to pass it to. I mean, good <laughs> I mean, God. I mean, like, it's dominance personified. Absolutely. You know, but and but that's what I'm saying. They do that, and it's a beautiful thing because to me, I think just just bringing her up, it kind of coincides with Mike. I think I they so. both kind of emerge from the same fabric. Yeah, that was Kobe too. You know, that's why Kobe he, as well. That's why Kobe graded on people with Serena's father, the way totally he raised different. them, the way he Absolutely. groomed them, the mentality he he put into them. They are a part of a bygone era, and that's why I say the culture has trapped a lot of these modern athletes. Because you got now this participation trophy culture, you got now <laughs> this this premature uh, crowning culture. Yeah. You got kids coming out you know, of high school in almost every sport you can imagine, from baseball, basketball, football, track and field, sure. and they get ballyhooed and they get rewarded and regarded, and they they haven't even Done cracked the wrapper on a professional career, yeah. but they're already getting this attention, which is why they have to then manufacture the outcomes, right? Yeah. So now yeah. we have to really create an environment where that person can be successful. And I think to me, all those things act, act as crutches. Oh. That's why you have to leave a team and say, I'm going to take my talent somewhere else because mm-hmm. ultimately it ain't working out for me here. And I was supposed to be a little yeah, bit further down the road. It doesn't match the expectations. Correct. And correct. these expectations are the things that are looming over me greater than anything. That's exactly right. Because I, I've been I've been given this, this, this sunshine, this gas. Is, I've been gassed up, so to speak. And so the culture has done it's doing a job on these young men and women and it's it's really cutting off their potential because no doubt they need the the point of competition competitive sport if yes. that's your thing yes is to win against the odds. It's adversity. It's, it is it's adversity. It. And it's making, it's, it's constantly advancing against that adversity Absolutely. and climbing that mountain. Absolutely. Michael Jordan did it. He's the GOAT. And I'm sorry, he did it. <laughs> he did it, and he did it in his way, and he did it in the really the only way I think it can be done, and that is you're going to tick some people off. Right. You're, you're going to do it. Yeah. If you're not going to tick people off, you're going to go have to play with somebody else just as good or better to get it done sure which is what we've seen happen. sure that's <laughs> just the way it is same thing goes with tom brady you can, be, you can get mad at him all you want to mm-hmm. but when you're that ice cold in the clutch and when you're pulling down four rings and you're beating people you know hey it's yeah. not human nature to be that consistently good that's why we don't see it that often and we have these discussions yeah. because it's attractive and it's 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 a and powerful say, thing we don't to have to take man. away anything from steph from lebron from no, any of those guys absolutely you not. know but at the same time thank goodness that we have you know 10 um you know kind of blips in time that sort of encapsulate someone's greatness because i think those are things a great time those are things that people need to look at they remind us that okay you know exceptionalism is still possible and somebody has done it before you know what i mean man it was a great era it was a great time man i loved it we're gonna move on and and we're gonna get into a little politics because it's all around us it's it's in everything it's gotten into (laughs) us we don't have to get into it everything (laughs) it's gotten into us everything is kind of tainted (laughs) with it um, but everybody's aware of, of kind of this new found term, which is Obamagate, right? And yes. it's, it's this idea that there was a, a collusion afoot um, before President Trump made it into office um, to basically muddy the waters 
um, to cast some some level of doubt and 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 to to level some accusations against his administration before they ever stepped foot in the White House. So we're going to sort of delve into that, and I want to start off um, kind of getting your thoughts, dear, and then also um, you know playing a video that kind of opens up the conversation. Well, I think it's uh it's very interesting what is starting to transpire here because if you go back, and of course having to stay consistent. Uh, if you go back in the archives of our very own podcast, you're going to find several podcasts where we allude to these things. And and this was before there was a President Trump. Uh, this was before any of this was going on. We just felt like there was a tremendous amount of smoke and mirrors going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, this is not about uh, smearing a president. This is not about it's not about talking bad or demeaning or disrespecting the office or, or president. This is all about facts. And one of the things that I've often found concerning in our present culture is the absence of facts and discussions. Mm-hmm. People, people run around using it like a hashtag, like facts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they do that all the time, you know. But if you use a hashtag, that makes it more factual. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> hashtag facts. But, you know, people are always talking about facts and facts this and facts that. But very much of the time, uh, it is facts that is absent in our discussion, in our in our uh, really conceptualizing of what's going on. And so what we're going to attempt to do here with this is we're going to pull back and try to have a panoramic look at it. Mm-hmm. And and see kind of what was going on from the transition of President Obama's administration into President Trump and kind of the whole the whole issue behind, you know, this thing going on with Michael Flynn and how this man has been been released and he was, you know, targeted and all of these different things, all of this collusion that has been afoot in the, the United States government. And so we're going to deal with it and uh, let's walk through it piece by piece. But we want to start first with with something you want to do. Yeah, I want to start with this quote from the great Thomas Sowell, right? National treasure. The goat. National (laughs) national treasure. And he says, intellectuals may like to think of themselves as people who speak truth to power, but too often they are people who speak lies to gain power. Mm. And notice what he says. He says intellectuals. He didn't say Republicans or Democrats. Intellectuals. And there are intellectuals on both sides. That's, That's the thing. I think so often... We act like there's only one side that's that needs to be demonized. Exactly. And, and, and no one needs to be demonized. But but as though one side carries the burden uh, of sort of being the, the, the person causing the issues. But intellectuals are a problem everywhere you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's the political and intellectual elite. Absolutely. Regardless of your party affiliation. Absolutely. Uh, and they are there. And a matter of fact, like we've talked about, there are elitist uh who are not in politics. I mean, sure. you can run into an elitist at the grocery store. Yes. And when, when, when I say that, I'm talking about people who believe that in their mind and in their heart, they know what is best. Mm-hmm. For everybody. And they know what is best <laughs> for you. Not just for themselves. They know what is best for you, and for themselves and for you. And they know what is best for you better than you do. That's right. And if given political power, if given the means, they will then do that thing they believe is best. Sure. Irregardless of the fallout because one of the one of the the, the magic tricks of the intellectual mm-hmm. is they get to espouse these ideas that set the world on fire or some industry on fire sure. or, or destroy so much good and then 
in some kind of way hide their hands like they had nothing in the world to do with it's it. It's like Michael Scott. I want all the credit and none of the blame. And uh, and it, it's <laughs> it it really is. It is one of the 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 evil virtues. And 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 the biggest issue I think that that we as as citizens should pay attention to is the fact that oftentimes these intellectuals, these experts, are in positions that don't require a vote to remove them or to promote them. You see what I'm trying to say? True. So so there is no there is no power of the electorate to hold fast the line that says, I don't want you crossing that. I appreciate yeah. your expertise here, but I don't want you crossing that line. I I want you to stay over there. Yeah, they stay out of that direct line of, of having to pay a penalty for being wrong. There you wrong. go. There's no accountability for yeah, them, right? Exactly. I get to just sit up there and say, I'm the expert, therefore I speak. And uh, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, y'all just didn't do it right. Yeah. Or it's the wrong president or it's the wrong administration. Oh, and they you know disappear. I mean? they like go. They vanish in the thin air. Absolutely. <laughs> they Absolutely. really do. They vanish in the thin like air. Houdinis. And uh, And act as though they said nothing. But we're going to start off. We You, you have a, a video we want to play or an audio we want to play of uh, Attorney General William Barr. And it kind of sets the stage for the conversation. The criminal justice system will not be used for uh, partisan political ends. And this is especially true uh, for the upcoming elections in, in November. We live in a very divided country right now, and I think that it is critical that we have an election where the American people are allowed to make a decision, a choice, between President Trump and Vice President Biden based on a robust debate of policy issues, and we cannot allow this process to be hijacked by efforts to drum up criminal investigations uh, of either candidate. And I'm committed that this election will be conducted without this kind of interference. Any effort to pursue an investigation of either candidate has to be approved by me. Now, what happened to the president, and I've said this many times, what happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice, and it was unprecedented in American history. The law enforcement and intelligence apparatus of this country were involved in advancing a false an utterly baseless Russian collusion narrative against the president. The proper investigative and prosecutive standards of the Department of Justice were abused, in my view, in order to reach a particular result. We saw two different standards of justice emerge, one that applied to President Trump and his associates, and the other that applied to everybody else. We can't allow this ever to happen again. The Durham investigation is trying to get to the bottom of what happened, and it will determine whether there were any federal laws broken, and if there were, those who broke the laws uh, will be held to account. But this cannot be, and it will not be, a tit-for-tat exercise. We are not going to lower the standards just to achieve a result. The only way to stop this vicious cycle, the only way to break away from a dual system of justice is to make sure that we scrupulously apply 
the single and proper standard of justice for everybody. Now, under the longstanding standards of the... So that's Attorney General William Barr. And what he's talking about is, you know, the the conversation that's being had right now is, how do we ensure that that we are a nation of laws and not of men, right? Mm -hmm. That that ultimately everyone underneath the law should be held to to the same account, irrespective of their political affiliations, irrespective of whether they're conservative um, or liberal. And what occurred back in 2016 um, was a a full-on miscarriage of justice in that um, there was a a coming together of the Hillary Clinton campaign, of the Democratic National Committee, um, and a company called Fusion GPS to create this narrative of Trump and Russia um, and to manufacture evidence um, to try and basically defeat President Trump before ever there were any votes cast, right? Mm-hmm. To identify him as a Russian agent, to say that he's being used by Putin, um, was was only um, put in place to try to get people to feel as though the country was going to be at stake if President Trump, if Tr- if Donald Trump was mm-hmm. made president of the United States. So... The question is, how come we're just now learning about all this? Okay, that was four years ago, and things are just now finally kind of coming to to the forefront. And what are we supposed to do with this information? Because I want to make sure that the conversation is not, again, poisoned by politics in a sense, mm-hmm. but instead kind of infused with this idea that as citizens in the United States, we all should have a fidelity to, to good laws, mm-hmm. right? So if, if there's a Fourth Amendment... Um, that protects any citizen of the United States, then that person should be held to account for violating the Fourth Amendment. Sure. Okay. And if and if the government is able to cajole and to conspire together um, with any arm of the federal government against an American citizen, then what does that leave us with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because we do end up being in a nanny state. We do end up seeing tyranny at work. And, it, and tyranny doesn't have to be out in the open. It doesn't have to be people lining folks up outside on the streets and, and shooting them dead. No. It can simply be me spying on you. It could simply be me you know, creating an entire dossier of events on you so that eventually when I need to use that information, boom, it's all there at my fingertips, right? Mm-hmm. Your phone calls, uh, what you've been watching on Netflix, Mm. And everything else about you is now being read out in the open in public. And that's a violation. And it, um, one of the things I like about what he said was that irregardless of the candidates on both sides, there were not going to be any of these, these crazy political games played because what he's talking about here is protecting the integrity of the election protecting the integrity, not not only hold, upholding, you know, of course, the law, but the integrity of the election and the integrity of the people's choice. You know, it's, it's really funny because, you know, I believe that people don't cheat because they want to win. I believe people cheat because they don't believe they can mm-hmm. if they're competing fairly. Mm-hmm. So it's really a, a sense of, insecurity 
Sure. It's a it's a sense of fear. Uh, it's not greed. Like everybody thinks you're cheating because you're greedy. You know, people are cheating because they're scared. Scared they're not going to win. Scared they're not going to get ahead. Scared they're not going to ever have anything if they don't do it. And um, I think when Donald Trump came down the escalator in 2016, <laughs> it set off a chain reaction of events that I have I have not seen ever before in terms of how willing we were to just abandon common decency, rule of law, uh, the political process to engineer an outcome for the left, for Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about someone who had rented this glass building or what have you, that was going to be symbolic <laughs> of this great victory, mm-hmm. uh, of this great uh, this great accomplishment in American history, coming on the heels, and we'll talk about this a little bit, coming on the heels of the first African-American president. What more triumphant uh, could the left be? I mean, how much greater could it be that on the heels of the first African-American president, you then bookend that with the first female president of the United States? And I think there was so much at stake, they feared losing it because nobody really saw Donald Trump coming. I don't, nobody on the right, nobody on the left, nobody, no. No, nobody took it serious. Nobody no. took him serious. <laughs> nobody, nobody even had the slightest. They were like, this is, this is a step above The Apprentice <laughs> is kind of what people, people kind of thought. Yeah. And I don't mind saying myself it drew my concern, you know, my oh, yeah, eyebrow, man, my eyebrow honest, raised not... like, you know, I gave him a, I gave him one of the rock. I gave him that eyebrow raised because I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering myself, I was like, okay, you know, it wasn't that I was against him running. Mm-hmm. It was that I just was like, eh, I don't know, Don, this, yeah. this ain't, this ain't time to be playing because this country was this really, is yeah, yeah. this is serious business. <laughs> yeah. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't politics as usual. This isn't arts and entertainment and being, no, this is real deal stuff. But as time went on, you saw that evidently there was momentum growing where people, all of us were weary Mm -hmm. of the political crap. We were weary of all of the games. We were weary of of what felt like a disconnect between government and its elite use of power and the people. And and because people had seen or had gotten a small glimpse Mm -hmm. of government infringing um, it's power, right? Sure. Remember, remember Republicans and the whole tax situation. Why, why are my taxes being scrutinized? Sure. Um, what's why? Why is it that I'm getting these questions because I'm a because I happen to be conservative or on yes. the right? Um, why Churches am I? Yeah, why? having their tax, you know, exempt status questioned. Well, yeah, exactly. All kinds of things. I mean, started it, it started up. happening in a very kind of surreptitious way where yeah. people had to, you know, it's not just out there out front, but you kind of feel like ah, that didn't feel right. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's appropriate. And no. so, and, and not to cut you off, but I do no. want to to make sure that I interject this. Yeah. That we also have to remember that this was like the perfect. It was the perfect opportunity for something like this to occur, mm-hmm. because you no longer had a free uh, press that was actually going to do its due diligence mm. to get into the meat of stories. 
Mm-hmm. They were satisfied with a very surface answer oh. on any number of topics because they didn't want to do anything to upset the Obama administration, the Democratic National Committee, or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I, I think people need to certainly pay attention to the fact that pol- politi- pol- politics, when when married with, with media, is a very dangerous cocktail that creates, uh, that can create um a certain amount of power, a certain amount of influence mm-hmm. that I think is is detrimental to any free country. Oh yeah. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I because agree. because we're looking back on it now and you're thinking how what how is it that you really don't hear you you never really heard the press at odds with the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. I mean really when you think back over no. 8 years, you don't remember any just Doggone it, we're gonna we're gonna have to sit down and just fight this out because I'm gonna keep coming, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I want I want you to keep going, but I want to just jump in, and that's evidenced by the fact that, uh, to a great degree, for a large part, uh, people didn't know him, and that's true. You know what I'm saying? It's like he <clears throat> he came out of he he was he is almost, and I, and I say this to people sometimes in private conversation when we, when when people can have an intelligent conversation about these things, <laughs> and. Uh, you know that one of the things that I think the left hates more than anything is that President Trump is a referendum on President Obama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and nobody wants to say that. And I, I may be stepping out on a limb to say it, but I'm, I'm going to say it because that's what I believe. He is really people. It is, he is a course correction. Yeah, they knew it and they felt it. It yes, felt that way. It was a rejection of eight years yes. of, of liberalism that had run amok in this nation in a way that it had never, ever done before. I mean, we were talking about things. We were talking about what bathrooms people were going to be using. Single-payer health system. We, I mean, we were talking about things that were just completely antithetical to a society uh, that prizes freedom. Right. Right. Cause you're going to have to reduce freedom to, to, uh, to really be able to do the things that the left wants to do. And so president Trump comes along and he is this walking representation of everything that the left just <laughs> cannot possibly stand. Mm-hmm. But he's also, he doesn't fit in some of the conservative elites, uh, you know, he doesn't check their boxes either. Because they're intellectuals on both sides. Because they're intellectually elites <laughs> on both sides. And and so here he comes along really as a populist candidate. He comes along as a candidate that people just start to get behind and believe that he's one of them. That he's a guy who is not going to sit here. He's going to go into there and he's going to drain the swamp. That's why he'd step out there on stage and start talking about draining swamps and, and getting Hillary's 33,000 emails, which is still a mystery. And and all of these <laughs> and all these other things. And people would just be, you know, they'd just be ginned up. Why? Because, and this is what the left hates. They hate it because he was that representation. He was, he symbolized the people's angst yes. with the government. Yeah, and and so I just wanted to point that out because a lot of times people, when we think about President Obama, he came along somewhat like that. He was kind of he was an unknown, even for us as African American people, black people who supported him upwards of ninety five, ninety six percent. They didn't really know him until he had just about won the nomination for the Democratic Party. There was no, there was no real 
serious consciousness of him mm-hmm. until, of, of course, he appears on uh, Oprah Winfrey's platform, he and Michelle. And then, of course, from there, then there's this skyrocketing, but see, like would, so many things. I would say that people didn't know him until after four years, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, and no, they don't. No, they you know didn't. I mean? Because it, because the media would not Wouldn't let you, you know him. They didn't want you to know him. They didn't want you. They didn't question. It was softball questions. It was it was the media completely in collusion mm-hmm. and consistently together. It was stuff like, to, Mr. President, you're so cool and calm under pressure. I mean, how do you <laughs> handle that? Oh, it really, was Katie Couric? Is that what you're going to come with? I mean, out of all the questions you could ask. It was a lot. And there were it's little like things that tried to crop up, but they were always suppressed. They were always, always smothered. They were always, always knocked down. Yes. And truthfully, him being the first African-American president, he had this impenetrable shield of race that he could stand behind and it disarmed a lot of people. And anybody that said, I'm not going to be disarmed and would actually ask a hard question or try to push forward and really vet the president, you want to vet the person, right. uh, they were considered racist. Or you're stepping outside of your bounds and you're being disrespectful and you're being disrespectful and you're racist. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, everything <laughs> was race <laughs> and everything was being racist, right? Yeah. And so now once that shield of race goes up, he now becomes the invisible man. He becomes unknown mm-hmm. because he can now hide behind that shield and nobody ever questioned him seriously about anything. Now flip that over to President Trump and there has not been one single solitary day mm-hmm. where that man has not been filleted in front of the public no. about mm-hmm. everything. People get they get badges of respect on Twitter and oh everything else goodness. for asking the stupidest, dumbest, to tweet irreverent to questions. Say, I mean, it is, it is the most, it is the craziest thing it I've is. ever seen. It is. But, but you know, I want to I wanna go back to, to the point that you made in reference to this, you know, to the election of President Trump being a referendum on uh, President Obama's administration, and it, and it was. Um, and the thing that people didn't like about it was that President Trump, he made the pledge. He said, I'm going to drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. And, and he not only meant that I'm going to go in there and I'm, I'm not going to listen to you guys. Right. I'm not these these pundits, um, all of you, all of you uh, lobbyists, all of these folks that are on the hill yeah. who, who feel like they've got the world figured out. He didn't need any of them. I don't want I don't want to play with. <laughs> so I'm going to bring in my own folks. I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And and what you got from the intellectual elites was. Well, we don't like you doing it your way. Exactly. We're the experts. That's right. We're, we're, we, are, we are the anointed ones. That's it. So you come to us. I mean, if you're going to go out into the world and make decisions, then you better be coming to us and asking us the questions. That's it. Asking us to field your team, right? And when Trump said, no, I don't want to play that way, I really don't care what you want me to do mm-hmm. or, or who you want me to link up with or who you think should be on my team. I'm going to do it the way that I feel I should do it. Then it became an issue of competence, his ability to even lead. He doesn't know anything. I mean, this man wants to get rid of NATO. He doesn't know anything. He's going to put the world in chaos and in turmoil. Meanwhile, the world was on fire. I mean, how do we forget that during the Obama administration? We don't remember the protests in Iran Hmm. when the people of Iran said, I want to be free. President Obama, help us. Join us. And he said, yeah, no, we ain't doing that. Yeah. Right. I ain't doing that. I ain't. ain't, I'm not doing that. And that was not that was not a small thing whatsoever. But you fast forward to Donald Trump. um, Same thing. Same thing happens in China. Mm -hmm. They say, Mr. President, help us, help us. And at least he throws him a lifeline and says, well, you know, I support him. Yeah. You know, people want to be free. 
Yeah. That's, that's that's more than than the people of Iran got from from President Obama. Mm. So so my point my point is that again this is not about this is not about politics. It's really not in the no. sense of political parties. It's not about political parties, red and blue, donkeys and elephants. It's not about that. As much as it is about gatekeepers, mm. people who have people who have dug their heels in in Washington D.C. have cemented for themselves some position of power. Uh, a platform by which they can bestow access and opportunity. Pick to, winners to, and losers. Absolutely. Yeah. And they didn't appreciate the fact that President Trump said, well, I don't want to play that way. Yeah. You don't want to play that way. Oh. Who uh, do you think uh, you who, are? Who, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, we'll show you what we can do, which is how you end up getting um, the FBI, the DOJ, I mean, go down the list, the the entire um, the entire community um, of intelligence getting together um, in, in little pockets and just kind of, you know, wanting to, mm. to make and create their own little coup. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to get into dates and, and, you know, timelines. That ain't even the, the, sure. this type of show. The, the point is very simple, though, that anything that infringes against our, our rights, our constitutional rights, um, needs to be addressed. People who who have violated those constitutional rights should have to come to the table, speak to those violations, yeah. and the penalty, whatever that is, um, they should have to pay it. They should period. Have to pay it. Because ultimately, guys, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter whose watch it happened under. Mm-mm. The the fact of the matter is, it cannot be tolerated. And when you tolerate it, if you create outs for for people who choose to take advantage. Sure. Um, to work behind the scenes, to be sort of, you know, those puppet masters that, you know, the unseen hands, then you you only embolden those who seek to have that type of power. Who doesn't want to be in a position of power where they can they can exact all the damage, make all the decisions, but take none of the responsibility? Mm. No accountability whatsoever. Yeah. Right. I mean, that for some people, that's an ideal position. Right. <laughs> that I get to just sit here and play oh, with yeah. people's lives. No doubt about it. Just just go out there and just do stuff because I want to and take no responsibility for it. So so right now, I think what's happening is that we truly have an opportunity to take back our government mm. in a real way. But but that requires a certain amount of civic responsibility and and you have to be civically um, inclined to say that this is important enough for me to get educated about the facts. Mm-hmm. And it's not about running to Trump's rescue or anyone else's. No. The point is that when the American people elect, elect a president, then we want that decision to be respected. Absolutely. Correct? And Absolutely. you don't get to decide that you don't like what I chose. That's right. You get your butt out the White House, <laughs> pack, up pack your stuff yeah, up. I'm it. done with you. Thank that's you it. so much. And we're moving on. That's it. And and that is really what I hope we do, because I think now more than ever, there is a plan afoot. There has been great effort on the part of, of what do you want, whether, whatever you want to call them, the deep state, <laughs> the elite, uh, whatever you want to call them. But there has been a, there's a plan afoot and there is effort made to try and engineer the outcome that best pleases them. And they have proven they will stop at nothing. Mm-hmm. They will stop at nothing. They have proven that they will actually tank an entire nation's economy if they have to. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You're li- we're living through it right now. I'm serious. We're living through it right they now. They will do whatever they have to do to try to get the end they so desire. Because, like, and, and the reason we, we went back in the past a little bit is because I, I want people to see, like you said, it's not about politics. It's not about who you like. It's not about the blue or the red. It's about the use and abuse of power by the elite. And, and, and hear me. Hear me if you're listening to this. Hear me. When President Trump became the president of the United States and he won that night, what you saw, <laughs> the shock and awe of everybody who was you voting. You mean the crying? <laughs> that, that was what that, took me. I was just like, oh, my gosh, people are crying. That was real. That was real. That oh, was yeah. real. Yeah. That wasn't fake. That wasn't hyperbole. No. That wasn't exaggeration. That was real. And I'm going to tell you what else was real. What was real was a newfound resolve. That day to say, we are never going to let this happen again. You betcha. We're not going to let this happen again. And so if we have to create an entire mythology around Russia and Trump, mm-hmm. we'll do it. If we have to target people, we'll do it. If we have to uh, trample the Constitution, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why we as the voting public have to wake up and realize that in this election year, while we're sitting here in quarantine and 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 inching out 25% a quarter at a time <laughs> you know in all these different places don't do not think this is not being used and leveraged sure for a political outcome Absolutely. in November it's it always is being, long game it's never oh, short it's game it's always long game and we cannot afford as a voting public we cannot afford to be playing checkers when they are playing chess mm. and we have to be willing to do whatever we have to do yes. to get out to vote. And and thank goodness for an attorney general who is voicing the resolve to say, we're going to protect the integrity of our election mm-hmm. because see, there are those out there. I mean, Joe Biden, whomever it may be, sure. let them, let them be voted on fair and square. Let them debate fair and square. Let it all be laid out there. And we're going to keep it pure and we're not going to let it be corrupted mm-hmm. and let the and let the the chips fall where they may. Yeah, it's like we're not going to weaponize. We're not going to weaponize anything about what we're what we're finding out. No. Right. That we're going to we want justice for everybody on both sides, no matter no who they are. About it. And that's and, and to me, for the American people, that's what we ought to be. That that ought to be our end. You know what I mean? If If there was if there was a violation of law by someone or anyone within the Obama administration, then they need to be tried for that. They because be ultimately, we send people to Washington, D.C. to represent us, but we also have an expectation that they're going to follow this, the very same laws that they were put in place to uphold. So so there can't be this... It's different for me, because I'm here in D.C. doing my thing, but certainly I want the full weight of the law when it comes to you, you little sure. you little penny any citizen i mean you know nobody needs (laughs) you anyway like who are you yeah Yeah. and so we have to remember that that we don't want to create this idea for anyone for anyone who seeks public service to serve themselves Mm. right and you have to you we have to maintain that i mean when you think about people leaving political office and being 30 or 40 times more wealthy than when they walked in the door there's a problem with that in a public trust correct that's a problem and i don't care how many books you sold or how many speaking engagements you've taken the the ultimate question is how did you how how was that possible in 4 years and 8 years mm-hmm. i get it in 20 or 25 and that's why we have to have term limits 
I mean, you know, people yeah. serving for 20 plus years have had a lot of opportunity to trade a lot of stock. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, let's just be real about it. Yeah. So I get it on that end. But when you're serving four years or eight years, I, I'm not quite understanding how you come out and you're so much better off. And that's for any, that's for any president, unless you had some industry about yourself prior to your political service. Mm. Um, but if not, then, you know, what was you doing? Cause community organizing, I'm sorry, it's not going to get you that. No, it's not going <laughs> to get pay you like that. that. And, that, and that's one of the things about President Trump that's uniquely different, because here's a man who made his billions beforehand. He, he's not uh, he, he comes in. He comes in in a different state. He comes in in a certain amount of independence that I don't think political officials have and have had before him and uh, especially not a president. And uh, and I think it's a it's a it's a real unique position to be in, and it's a real unique opportunity for us, as you said, uh, to take back our government, to take back our country, and to decide, you know, who do we want to be moving forward? I think more than anything that has happened throughout this entire pandemic, it has highlighted the vacuum of leadership in this country, uh, in so many different ways and on so many different levels. Uh, locally, regionally, uh, statewide, uh, we've seen some very, very uh, concerning behavior out of our leaders. But it's all happening, like I said in the the previous podcast, it's happening to give us this opportunity to look at it for real Mm -hmm. and do something about it and say, look, I believe it was Milton Friedman, uh, he, he used to always talk about making it politically advantageous for the wrong people to do the right thing. Yeah. That sometimes you don't even have to throw the bums out, but you've got to be a, a an electorate and citizens who are smart enough and savvy and That's wise right. enough to make it politically advantageous for these these bums, so to speak, to sure. do the right thing. Absolutely. And they will. They will. Because in the world of politics, I mean – you know, they, they they count votes like everybody like mm-hmm. like the movie star counts box office tickets. The whole point is to stay stay and right the whole, here. The whole I point is to right keep, here. yeah, the whole point <laughs> is to stay in office. And so if we can begin to put pressure on our government, and I'm and I'm not just talking about uh, uh in the country, I'm not just talking about the office of the presidency or the office of the high offices in the land federal. I'm talking about your mayor. I'm talking about I'm talking about your governor, I'm talking about these city officials. People have got to start waking up to say, look, we got to start making it politically advantageous for these people to listen to what we have to say and we can make it happen. But we have to become civically involved, civically educated and then have the courage to actually follow through. So I want to make sure that before we get off the podcast that we sort of kind of sum all this up. And one of the things that that you and I were talking about was, you know, how this this whole Obamagate stuff sort of mirrors um, some information from the Prestige. I don't know if people remember that movie because that oh, movie it was, a good was like movie. 2006. Wasn't it Hugh Jackman and uh, yeah, Christian Bale. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, go see it because it's I mean it's pretty About good movie. Magicians. It's, and, yeah. Yeah. It's and, good. I, and so I, I want you guys to listen to this clip. We're gonna come back and do some commentary, and we're gonna kind of leave you um, with this as our parting shot. This of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it, to see that it is indeed real. Yeah, not. The second act 
is called the Turk. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now, you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. But you wouldn't clap yet. Because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige. Okay, so I don't know if you caught all that, but the prestige talks about that there's three parts to mm -hmm. a magic trick, right? And the first one is the pledge. Yeah. Right? And the pledge is, okay, I'm going to show you this dog, this cat, this rabbit, this, this man, man right? Yeah. And I want you to look at it. It's ordinary. And notice that there's nothing There's nothing here, right? It's just. It's just a man. And then it's the turn, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that turn is, wow, something ordinary just did something extraordinary. How does that happen, right? Sure. And it kind of suspends our, our disbelief for a minute because this magic trick is actually, it, it happened. Yeah. But he says the third part is the prestige, which means yeah. it's not just making something disappear, it's making it reappear. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah. three parts. Yeah. So, so we're going to break this down. Because I felt like this was exactly what we got with the Obama administration. So you, you think about the first part, the pledge. Mm -hmm. We got a man, ordinary man, a man that none of us knew, just as you were talking no, about. We really did. Right? He was a he was a blank sheet of paper, like you say. Yeah. And so everyone was, I mean, you know, unassuming. Nobody and if we are honest, a lot of people didn't even think that his his run would, would last it. long, yeah. absolutely, because yeah. it was kind of already predetermined that Miss Clinton was going to be the nominee, Yeah. right? And so then you go to the turn, right? Mm -hmm. And what was the turn? He actually beat uh, Miss Clinton, and then he actually won uh, the presidency. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is extraordinary. He's John McClain. Right, right? because McCain. all of a sudden <laughs> he is this black man who's president of the United States has never happened before. Yeah. It's extraordinary. People yeah. crying, right? We talked about that. It was an eerie day. It was just weird. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It was an eerie day. It just the whole thing kind of felt a little. It was different. I don't know. It was different. So, and then you have the prestige, right? It's that it, not, not just making something disappear, but you have to make something appear, you reappear. Make it reappear. Right? Yeah, How do you do that? And the way that the DNC, this this was their hat trick. Think about this. It's Obama once. It's Obama twice. But it's Hillary yeah. for three. Yeah. She's right? the prestige. She is the prestige. Yeah. And that is why. <laughs> People, seriously, this is why they were crying. They were beating their breasts. How could this happen? America, you have failed us. <laughs> because we were supposed to get at least four years, making it 12 years of liberal ideology. And yeah. make no mistake, Ms. Clinton would have been a continuation of Barack Obama policies. The only mm. difference is she probably would have been a little bit more uh, 
dirty about her stuff. I'm just being honest. If you know the Clintons and you know, Ooh. it's no holds barred, okay? There's a lot of smoke there. So <laughs> so what I'm saying is think about that in in relation to, to, to magic because politics has that air of, you know, there's Sleight of hand. Absolutely. Oh yeah. There's a there's a craftiness to it because it's politics. There is a craft. It's definitely a craft. I want you to see something. I want you to believe this and I need you to look right here. Mm-hmm. And don't move your eyes. Keep them right here. Mm-hmm. Cuz over here mm-hmm. I'm doing what I really want to do. Exactly. Right? But when I get on CNN or MSNBC or when I when I get out there and I do the state of the union, I want you to believe that I truly want America to be exceptional and, and I want I want America to be successful. Mm-hmm. And yet the policies that I'm I'm doing in the back in the booth yeah. don't seem to really promote that agenda. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity here, folks. We truly do, to say we see it, we understand it, and we're not going to take it anymore. And you're gonna have we're gonna have to get out of this personality cult. Please. that we have ascribed to this idea that we have to be all in on on this and all in on that i've already told you i don't agree with the whole vaccine thing i don't want you mobilizing the military to do anything in reference to, to vaccines yeah. appreciate you mr president but that's where i disagree i get sure. off on that sure. you know what i mean that's a train i can't ride okay but we should have the ability as citizens to look very much clearly and with with only the the thought of what what makes sense mm-hmm. what is right yeah. Right. And make decisions as to where we're going to put our vote. And that's not based on this Puritan idea that my candidate just checks all the boxes. Yeah. No doubt about it. Right. Because there's going to be Can't disagreements. But I've got to go with the guy who puts me in the best position to be successful. Got to do it. Right. Got to do it. Simple. <laughs> it's simple. It's plain. And hopefully we have the guts to carry it out. <laughs> but listen, that is going to conclude uh, Culture and Convictions. Look, we're just getting started talking about all of these things because I guarantee you, as the year rolls on, as we get closer and closer to the election, as we get closer and closer to Decision Day, November, things are going to get testier and testier. <laughs> it's going to get it's going to get all stupid up in here. <laughs> you can rest assured that. <laughs> and uh and uh we're going to be right here talking about it on our podcast because it is time to have some tough conversations America. It really is. It's time to stop talking about having them and it's time to really have them. It's time to stop talking at one another and it's time to start talking to one another and really hashing out things and conceptualizing them around facts and evidence and the truth of what is really going on. And just like you said, if you're guilty, I don't care what side of the line you're on. If you have abused and misused political power all the way up to the seat of the president himself or former president, I don't care who you are, you need to be prosecuted because there needs to be a precedent set for the people. Not sitting up here placating and and playing games and and, uh, massaging the elite. And so, listen, thank you guys for listening. We're about ready to close up for right now. Share this with your friends, your family, those that you believe are interested in political uh, speak and want to get into these particular uh, topics and talk about this particular subject matter. And we thank you guys for pushing play, and we'll see you next time.